Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having a fabuloso day. And we are going to continue our journey through 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 3. Paul really takes the gloves off today. Um, just to bring you up to speed, Paul is in Corinth. He is, uh, well, he's been in Corinth. He's now in Ephesus, and he's writing his letter back to Corinth. And there's some problems there. The church there is a hot mess. Uh, Corinth was a very uh, cosmopolitan city. Uh, if I were to equate it to anything that in my context today would be like New Orleans, um, every kind of wickedness that could be imaginable uh, was present. And to plant a church, found a church, and grow a church in an environment like that would be an incredibly difficult thing to do. And Paul did it. But it wasn't without his challenges. And he is going to be, he's addressing uh, up through chapter four, he'll be addressing um, the first issue, which was the division amongst the church there. Some were saying, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of Paul, I'm of Christ. So that's what he's addressing. So he set the stage for chapter 3 today. Paul's going to take his gloves off, and he has some very hard words for them. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the chapter in its entirety before I go back and address the areas, the, the my red highlighted notes. All right, well, let's get started. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds in this foundation using silver, gold, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames." Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourself. 
If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Okay, let's get, come back up here. Here's my first thought. Christians who divide over church leaders are behaving immaturely like people who do not have God's spirit. There's not a harsher word that you can issue to a believer than say, you're not, you're acting like an unbeliever. You're not acting like a Christian. I look at you and I don't see Christ. I see the world. That's kind of what Paul's saying here. Christians who divide over church teachers are behaving immaturely, like people who do not have God's spirit. And he goes on to explain why that's foolish. He said, you know, Paul founded the church, so Paul planted. Apollos came later and watered, as did Peter, apparently. So does the one is the one that plants more important than the one who waters? Is the one who waters and the one who plants more important than the one who harvests? Without any of those three, nothing happens. If nobody plants, there's nothing to harvest. If nobody waters what's planted, then what's planted dies and there's nothing to harvest. If nobody comes along to harvest, there's no harvest. Everyone has their place. Everyone has their their part in God's plan. It's not a matter of who's greater than who. So it's foolishness to put this teacher up against that teacher. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. I'm of Paul. The metaphor of growing crops in a field illustrates how foolish it is. There is no rank to the servants of God. There are just servants of God. The servant who plants a seed and the servant who waters it are not that important. They're just farm hands. It's all about God. You know, it's funny. Whenever I see a Christian leader pushing themselves to the front, whether it's in the name of marketing, whether it's in the name of branding, whether, you know, whatever it is, I'm suspect. The Christian leader who pushes himself to the front is encouraging this kind of behavior. And we see a lot of that today. In some churches, it's all about the show. It's all about the uh, performance. And there's no other word for it. And it promotes division. And the Corinthian church, apparently this was a big deal. Paul spends four chapters discussing it. And this is, he spends more time discussing this subject than he does any other subject that we're going to cover in 1 Corinthians. So this is kind of a big deal. This is important. And it kind of leads me to my next thought that James put it this way. You say you have faith. I have faith and I show it to you by what I do. 
Christ's spirit lived out through us as believers. That's the proof of our membership in Christ's church. And what is it that should be showing out through our lives? Humility, kindness, the fruits of the spirit uh, in Galatians 5, gentleness, kindness. These things should be coming out in our life. And even if we're a Christian leader, that should be the signature of our life. Not self-promotion. Paul wasn't self-promoting and neither did Apollos. But the believers in that those churches divided themselves up according to these. And they're, they're making, they ha, it's like they have their own rock star. Apollos is my rock star. Paul is my rock star. Peter's my rock star. And then the ones who want to sound really, really godly say, oh, Jesus is my rock star. No, that's the way the world works. And in that society, they had, you know, they'd have these orators that would come to town. They develop a following, and the importance and the status of that orator would be determined by how many people followed him, how popular he was, how big a crowd that they would draw, how ma- how many students that they would attract. Paul is saying, "Look, who is Paul? Who's Peter? Who's Apollos?" One of us plants, one of us waters, one of us harvests. All are important. There is no greater than or less than. By the grace God has given me, he said, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. Building with perishable materials is building a church with motives and methods that are not gospel-centered. That, oh my gosh, that's, that's such a huge thing for today. He's talking about people who Uh, people who build a foundation on perishable, in other words, unstable material, material that's easily destroyed. Um, A foundation laid in stone will last for centuries. A foundation laid in wood decays or burns up. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid. But if anyone builds in this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, fire will show you what that work is made out of. If it's burned up, the builder suffers loss. So building with perishable materials is like building a church with motives and methods that are not gospel-centered. All right, when you f- see a church and it's all about the show, it's all about the production. Now, that's not a slam on production values. It's not a slam on high-quality uh, technical ability. Uh, the church I go to, we have live stream. They have stage lights. They make it as simple and easy as possible for people to see the words for the songs and the hymns that we're singing. Um, There's nothing wrong with production values. There's nothing wrong with any of that. It becomes wrong when that is pushed as a defining character of the church. When... The reputation of a church is centered around its production values and what things look like and how great the band is, um, how mesmerizing the preaching is. When it's centered around people and personalities, that's wrong. It should be centered, a church should be known by the gospel it preaches. And what is the, what's the heart and soul of the gospel? Well, 
I'm going to I'm going to read it right here again because it's the Apostles Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That's the gospel. Churches should be centered on that, and then teaching should be centered on the ramifications of the gospel in our lives. For instance, if I really believe in Jesus Christ's only Son, how does that bear out in my life? What does that look like in my life? Galatians 5, Paul teaches about the fruit of the Spirit. That's the, that's the trademark of a Christian, a believer. These attributes should be in greater and greater quantities. As your life, as you mature and as you move on through your Christian life, you should become more and more, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. James says, you, show, you say you have faith, I show you my faith by what I do. And the proper religion is taking care of widows and orphans. A Christian life is a life that's lived outward, that is lived with the needs of those around you being more important than your own. That's called agape, love, self-sacrificial love. That's how a Christian life should be led. But when, a, when you see someone who's grasping, who's pulling to themselves things to make themselves look important or feel important, or in this case, aligning yourself with who you think the best teacher is, that is not Christ-like. A church whose production values are of equal or more important value than the message being given, I'd avoid that church. That's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is contained in what I just read to you. That message should be front and center of any church we go to, of any church you attend. That message and how it applies to our life and how it's to be worked out in our lives and the consequences of belonging to the kingdom of heaven, that's the message that should be coming out of the gospel. Anything other than that, the charismatic values of a teacher, the production values, the facilities, the big buildings, the fancy, fancy things that go with it. When If those become the thing, you're out of order. Here, the thing that was out of order was their alliance and their divisions based on the personalities of the teachers that they liked. Wow. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? We together, collectively, we are God's temple here on earth. The Jewish temple is gone. We as believers are now the temple of God in the midst of this earth. And anything that fights against the gospel is fighting against the temple of God. All right, now, this is an important thought here. God will destroy anyone who destroys his temple. The church as a group is God's temple, which is where God's spirit lives. If anyone, church teacher or not, 
destroys the church, God will destroy that person. The way to destroy a church is to focus on worldly wisdom rather than the gospel. For example, dividing over teachers, focusing on less important issues instead of the gospel, or teaching false doctrine. An old man once told me that if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, sounds like a duck, odds are it's a duck. If a person calls themselves a Christian, but they walk like a non-Christian, they act like a non-Christian, they talk like a non-Christian, do you see the problem? In the beginning of this, Paul says, you know, ah, you're, you're not ready. I preach the gospel. I gave you the milk of the gospel. You should be moving past that. You should be moving into the meat of the teaching. But I can't do that yet. You're still worldly. Insert the word unbelieving. That's kind of what he's saying here. You're still unbelieving. You're acting like the world around you acts. They center themselves around these fancy orators, these fancy public speakers, they, the, these personalities. That's what you're doing. You're, you're making the church look like just another association where people show up for a meeting once a week. You're still worldly. You're not, you're not ready for the meat yet. You're still wallowing in the milk, if you will. This is an important thing. This is huge. If you're a Christian, you should be acting like a Christian. Now, Paul takes the next step and really lays the hammer down. He's telling him, look, you're acting like the rest of the world acts. But then he says something really hard. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple? God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Therefore, he's saying, look, you, that church that has been planted in Corinth, you're a representation, you're part of God's temple. And anybody who destroys God's temple, God will destroy. And in the context, he's saying, those of you who are dividing up and causing dissension about I belong to Paulus, Peter, or Paul. You are working at destroying God's temple, and God will destroy you. God will destroy anyone who destroys his temple. The church, as a group, is God's temple, which is where God's spirit lives. If anyone, church teacher or not, destroys the church, God will destroy that person. The way to destroy a church is to focus on worldly wisdom, rather than the gospel. For example, dividing over teachers, which is the context of this passage, focusing on less important issues instead of the gospel, or perhaps by teaching false doctrine. He's telling him, look, you are working at destroying what was started there. He said, look, when you're dividing like this, you are working at destroying God's church, and you need to understand something. God's temple is sacred to God. He will destroy whoever seeks to destroy God's temple. So don't deceive yourselves. If anyone thinks you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so you may become wise. Paul, as brilliant as he was, was considered a fool by fellow philosophers and thinkers in Athens from where he came just before going to Corinth. 
According to the world's wisdom, the preaching and the defense of the cross is foolishness. Paul knows what he's talking about here. He says the the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. There are divisions around personalities of Apollos, Peter, Paul, is what he's talking about here. The thoughts of the wise are futile. You're using the world's wisdom to make determination. That's wrong. The wisdom of the world is to be thrown away. The wisdom of God is to be brought to bear here. Boasting about different leaders in the church is an example of the world's wisdom, not God's. I have a really good friend of mine. His name is Joe Turner. Joe, if you're listening, I appreciate you. He is going through the Bible and he posts some wonderful thoughts. And today he posted this scripture from Isaiah 29, which kind of dovetails in here with what we're talking about. So the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Because of this, I will once again astound these hypocrites with amazing wonders. The wisdom of the wise will pass away and the intelligence of the intelligent will disappear. There is a danger in any organization when the mission of that organization is eclipsed by the process of making that organization work. I guess in today's church, it would be the buzzword would be production values take over. I'm not against production values. I think God wants excellence in all that we do. And if God has given you the funding and the ability and the individuals, go for it. Production values are not evil in and of themselves. But when a church becomes known for its production values, something's out of order. When a church becomes known for the charismatic qualities of its leadership, something is out of order. When a church is known for presenting the gospel, discipling its believers, developing Christ-likeness in its membership, that's the good thing. Whenever production values supersede that the gospel and the presentation and the consequences of the gospel in our life, when production values supersede that, when charismatic personalities supersede that, that's out of order. And that's what Paul is saying here. And But Paul is saying, he's not just saying it's wrong. He's saying it's really wrong. He is saying, God will destroy people who act like this. Stop acting like this. You know, James says that you say you have faith. And that's kind of what Isaiah is talking about here. These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. James says, you say you have faith, but I show you faith by what I do. I'm not going to spend a lot of my wheel, spend a lot of my time talking about it. I'm going to spend all my time doing something about it. Our lives should be a channel through which God's love goes to those around us. Our lives should not be spent on efforts to draw attention to us. Anonymity has its value. I'm going to close with this. 
I'm not the world's greatest musician. I'm a professional musician, but I'm not the world's greatest musician at anything I do or play. I'm okay singer. I'm an okay bass player. I'm an okay guitar player. Okay ukulele player. Okay composer. Okay songwriter. I'm okay. I'm not great. And when I die, the, wor- the musical world probably won't even blink. And within 10 years of me passing away, the world will never know that Paige Garwood ever lived. But in my lifetime, especially since bowing my knee to Christ, my focus has been on raising godly children, being a good husband to my wife as much as I can, and as best I can be her, be what she needs as a husband. My efforts have been towards presenting the gospel and loving my neighbor as myself, loving God with all my heart, soul, and mind, loving my neighbor as myself. And when I pass away, within five years, the world will never know I existed. But God will, and God does. And I have this saying that's almost become a mantra with me. I would rather be anonymous to man and known by God than to have the whole world shout my name and to hear God say, depart from me, you wicked. This glorifying of personalities and leadership is evil. That's what Paul is telling him here. And I I get a sense that Paul is heartbroken. Was my effort in vain? Is this really what you're about? Glorifying teachers? Chapter 3. Paul takes the gloves off. All right. Well, that's it for me today. This is Mr. G. Here's my coffee. And I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye.